I think it's somewhat fitting, um, being 9-11, that we, uh, our speaker this morning, I, I have learned from the wisdom of my wife that when I go away for a week, as I did this, Nancy and I went away this week for some sabbatical and R&R rest, not to have to come back and preach. Um, and as it turned out, um, Dave Kubal was available to come and speak, and so I asked him to do so. <clears throat> Dave is ordained in our denomination in the EPC, but he serves in what we call laboring out of bounds. He does, he's not pastoring a church. What he's doing is he's trying to pastor a nation in a sense. He's the CEO and the president of an organization uh, that prays for the country, pray for America, and I'll let Dave speak on that. Dave, why don't you come on up and, and get ready to, to speak? But, you know, we... We come from a variety of different opinions, and this organization has been going for many years. It wasn't founded because of this election coming up. It wasn't founded because we're, we're you know, in some way this particular time we need God any more than we've needed him any other time. We've needed God desperately from day one. And the way we're going to see God's kingdom come is ultimately starts with our prayer and starts with us praying for ourselves, for our church, for our nation, and uh, Dave's mission and the mission of the organization is not a political agenda, not to see uh, one party, but to see the kingdom of God brought and beginning with our prayers. And so I've asked if, if Dave would come and share their ministry, their, their mission, and inspire us and teach us how we pray. Because I know some of us are discouraged about where we see our country and, and what lies in front of us, but we need not be because God's sovereign. He's on the throne. He's been on the throne, and he'll still be on the throne before and after. So I want to ask, uh, thank you, Dave, for coming and bringing your family, and yeah. long for you to share with us. Well, thank you. Stand up there? Yeah. All right. Okay, we'll do that, and we'll do that. All right, so I've got four square feet to move in. Excellent, all right. Good morning. How's everybody? My wife gave me some great sound advice just before I got up here. She, she said, do not go long, I'm hungry. So my wife and my two daughters are back there. I'm living with three women now. My son went off to college a couple weeks ago, and uh, it's been a little bit of an eye-opener. Uh, a lot of makeup and stuff. Well, speaking of 9-11, obviously today is uh, quite a day in the history of our country. And uh, I want to encourage you to, um, not only uh, in your thoughts and prayers today, remember that, but also tonight at 7 o'clock, uh, there's a simulcast. It's actually being simulcasted from the Washington Mall, and um, it will be a simulcast on a day of repentance for 9-11 for our country. And a, a number of Christian leaders will be on there. Probably the uh, foremost is Jonathan Kahn. Anybody heard of Jonathan Kahn? Uh, he'll be there. I'll be there, and a few others will be there today. So 7 o'clock, go to ifapray.org. You can get the link and watch the simulcast. It's free. So there's a little commercial. IFA is a 40-year-old ministry. We've been in uh, business to see God's purposes for miracle fulfilled through sustained prayer and spirit-led obedience. So that's what we do for 40 years. All right, let's get into the Word today. Turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 6. I know that last week you were in Mark chapter 6. And as we uh, pray for uh, the election, uh, during this election season, I thought it was maybe, Tim, a prophetic act teaching last week in that the two sections last week that you uh, studied, I listened to the sermon, uh, was about a demon-possessed man and a sick woman. 
think about that for a little bit. I seriously, I was, I was sitting on my deck preparing and, and I looked at that. I was looking, I was like, oh my gosh, that is so funny. <laughs> oh boy. So how do we pray in this day? How do we pray with effectiveness and endurance? That's what I want to talk about. Now, I guess every week you say the Lord's Prayer, is that right? Every week you say the Lord's Prayer. So I'm not going to take the time to read the Scripture, uh, but in Matthew chapter 6, it is there. The structure of the Lord's Prayer is very simple. It begins with praise, ends in praise, and in the middle there's petitions, right? There's a personal petition, give us this daily bread, that kind of thing. But before that, there is that one phrase that is a godly petition, a petition from God's heart. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's what I want to focus into onto today. Because if you really think about that short little phrase, I think it's 14 words, these 14 words really change our whole perspective in how we pray and how we live. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now to think about how we would pray and act as if this scripture, this promise, this prayer would come true, we need to consider what is going on right now in heaven, in the throne room. Right now, in the throne room of heaven, God's kingdom is fully intact. It's not experiencing any resistance. His government is working in perfect order. There's no bickering going on in His government. His will is completely being accomplished. His peace that surpasses all understanding and has no end is in full force. His love is fully experienced without confusion about what love is. There's total dependence upon Him for all, all needs without a thought of striving for something that is not of Him. Right now in the, in the throne room of heaven, there's no confusion about what is best for the created. His values are fully embraced. His morals are held in high esteem. His rule is being enforced without question. There's no wondering about who's in charge, and no one is challenging his authority. His desires are being accomplished with holiness and perfection. Everyone in his presence is of one mind pursuing one purpose. His authority is sought after because of its connection with its best for all. There's no house payments. There's no hunger. There's no kids to get off to their soccer practice and you're running late. There's no makeup to put on, speaking of makeup. There's none of that going on. Right, and there's full heads of hair. <laughs> okay, you didn't have to laugh that much. It's a good thing, isn't it, Tim? It is. Right now in heaven, there is no striving, there's no confusion, there's no lack of love or wisdom or mercy or justice. It is heaven. And that's what we are striving for here on earth. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth, in America, as it is in heaven. That's our goal. That's our mission. Now, many of you probably work for an organization or a business that has a vision statement or mission statement, right? All good employees are supposed to be able to recite that, right? <laughs> 
Well, if there were ever a, a piece of scripture, a portion of scripture that you could pull out and, and say, this is the vision statement, the picture of the future that is compelling, that's, that people want to strive to get their best out of themselves in order to see it accomplished, it would be this very simple little phrase. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And as we consider how we would pray today for our country on this 15th anniversary of 9-11, as we face probably one of the most, I don't even know what adjective to use to describe our election uh, and our candidates. Anybody watch the debate or whatever you would have called that this week? I heard Hillary, Hillary had an earpiece in. Did you hear that? Yeah. It's crazy days we live in. Well, this is what we're praying for. This is what we're pursuing. And yet we look at a nation that seems to be moving away from God's kingdom and His ways. On June 21st of this year, a group of evangelicals were invited to go to to New York City to the um, New York uh, Grand Marquis Hotel to have a conversation with Donald Trump. At first it was a small gathering, a couple hundred people were invited and it ballooned and there was like 1,100 people, but it was a very interesting day and I don't want to get into all the details of of what uh, Donald Trump said, but what I want to do is I want to share with you just a few brief thoughts on what George Barna said in preface to Donald Trump getting up and speak, because I I want you to believe, I want you to understand, and I want you to feel that what you are feeling and experiencing is very real and very much a part of what is going on in our country. And we have some slides, I think. Is that true? George Barna, author, statistician, uh, probably the foremost um, person who has a knowledge of what is going on in the church in America today. He shared a number of things, and I want to just briefly plow through a couple. The first is the trajectory of Americans' cultural shift. And I'm going to go so fast, you, if you're a note taker, you may not want, want to write it down. You may want to take a picture of it with your phone, because I'm going to move real fast, because I have 22 to 24 minutes. <laughs> and I'm used to speaking at seminars where I get an hour or so. That's fine. The trajectory of Americans' cultural shift. It's a shift from goodness to decadence. In that, there's a shift from shared vision to immediate gratification of order of rule and law to anarchy, of common good to unrestrained self-interest, eternal transcendence to tangible immediacy, service and sacrifice to comfort and convenience, commitment and responsibility to entitlement and sloth. The next slide. The basis of this, the underpinning of this cultural shift is our moral foundation. Only 10% of the American population believe that there is an absolute moral truth and that it can be found in the Bible. Half of us, half of, of Americans believe that God is not necessary to be moral. Where do you get your morality from? Most people, including six out of seven born-again Christians, base their moral uh, choices on feelings. Moral values generally are, din- are indistinguishable by faith. And this leaves a tempered faith, the next slide, a tempered faith or a tempered hope for America's future, that U.S. is headed in the wrong direction. Hard work is no longer, uh, facil- it no longer facilitates success. Our standards of living are declining. 
America's, culture, America's children will have fewer opportunities and the nation's best days are in the past. Y'all sense this? Y'all feel this? You know, as a, kid, as a, as a, a man who's raising kids right now, just launched, you know, one off to college, I think, what will America be like? Will the opportunities that my kids have are the same opportunities, even better than the opportunities that, that I had? And then this past week, the Washington uh, Times, I'm sorry, the Washington Post came out with a, an amazing survey. They surveyed 74,000 people across the nation. Church and unchurch, just 74,000 people. And they determined, they uh, discovered that there is a general pessimism that is in America, no matter what the outcome of this upcoming election will be, and it's as you see on the screen. 72% of Americans believe that America today reflects their values less than in the past. Now this is Christian and non-Christian, but an overwhelming majority of Americans believe that the values of America today represent less of what they're, than what they want. Now that's not only church, that's unchurched. Even as our nation shifts, there is a desire to return to the way things were before. And these cultural indicators uh, would lead us to believe that the church is having very little impact in the culture today and decreasing at best. Over the past decade, we have seen our country go from frustrated with Christians and Christian beliefs to irritated, to intolerant, to even hostile to the values of the kingdom of God. And you, I'm sure, have felt the tectonic plates of our, our moral structure in America shift. This is what the vast majority of Americans are feeling. And you probably all know the stories of the, the baker who didn't want to do the wedding cake and, and all of that. Well, just recently there was a Washington pharmacist who was being forced by the state of Washington to provide um, uh, day-after pills, uh, chemical abortion. And it was against their beliefs, and so they, sought, they sued the government in Washington so that they were not forced to provide this chemical abortion. Well, they lost, so they took it to the Supreme Court. The Supreme Court decided not to rule, and so the state-level court, the appellate court, circuit court, their opinion uh, was upheld. So they're not only forced to sell drugs that produce chemical abortions, but they were also forced to hire somebody who would sell that. The state of Washington, I'm sorry, the state of California this uh, past summer introduced legislation that would force Christian universities to hire people that disagree with their beliefs. Yeah, amazing. My kid, my, my boy goes to Liberty University. You know, what's going to happen there? And then, if that's, and, and you know more stories than, than what I have time to describe up here, uh, but this week, I have in my hand it's actually a 300-page report. I have just a printout for the cover. Uh, it's a report from the U.S. Commission on Civil Rights. It's a bipartisan U.S. government office charged with investigating, reporting, and making recommendations concerning civil rights. And they stated in this new report, which is called Peaceful Coexistence, Reconciling Non-Discrimination Principles with Civil Liberties, in this report, they state that Religious freedom and religious liberties have become code words for intolerance, bigotry, and Christian supremacy. This week, this came out from our government. 
The past two elections, people have said that that election was one of the most important, and it is certainly true. I believe we can see now, statistically, morally, legally, culturally, they were correct. Evil's accelerating. The days are getting ever darker. And yet I do not believe that the destiny of our country is determined. God desires to part- for us to participate in shaping history through prayer and action. We cannot sit, idly sit back and say, God's going to do what God's going to do. There are too many examples in the Scripture where God requires, desires His people to pray or to act in order to see a nation's history change course. So I want to look in Isaiah chapter 33. Tim, how am I doing on time? I completely lost track. Five minutes. Five minutes. Isaiah chapter 33. We can do it, right? You ready? Okay. Isaiah 33. Now Isaiah was a man who prophesied uh, during good times and bad times in Israel's history. A few good times at the beginning, some really bad time in the middle, and then a time of great revival. And I think it's very instructive for us in America today because those of us who have a few years on us, we can remember the days where Christian values were embraced in our country. Now we're experiencing you know, our own government saying that, you know, that we're Christian supremacists and, and that we're bigots. And yet, how do we move from where we are, how do we pray for a revival to come? Well, I want to offer Isaiah 53. Isaiah 33. Isaiah 33 is part of the three-part message within Isaiah, which is promises, judgments, and blessings. And this is one of the promises chapters. In Isaiah chapter 33, look with me at verse 2. The print of my Bible is not big enough. I can't see anymore. So I have it printed right here. I bring it up here so you know I have a Bible. But it's too small, and I don't like reading glasses. Oh Lord, be gracious to us. We long for you. Be our strength in the morning and our salvation in distress. We need to pray. We need to seek God and his solutions in this day. We can learn, if we learn anything from the Old Testament, it is this, that when Israelites relied upon themselves, their problems, uh, they only incurred problems. When they trusted in a king or a judge and not Yahweh, they had problems. And we have seen in our own country when we have trusted with the Republicans taking over the Senate and the House. What changed? (laughs) Conservatives thought that, you know, here we go, we're going to be fine. But what we need is we need humble elected officials who seek God and God's solutions. And I can tell you they're out there. Uh, uh, Congressman Lamborn from, I think it's Oklahoma, he introduced just uh, six weeks ago uh, to the floor of the House a motion to, uh, to have July 3rd as a day of humility for our country. We have those kinds of leaders. Lord, be gracious to us. We Be our strength in the morning, our salvation in distress. We must pray, number one, that we realize that our solutions come from God. Number two, we need to pray for God-fearing leaders. John Jay, our first Supreme Court justice, said this, we are a Christian nation and we should prefer Christian leaders. And I'm in complete agreement with that. But yet at a minimum, what we need is we need believers, I'm sorry, we need leaders who fear the Lord. Isaiah 33 verse 6 is our scripture for this. He will be our sure foundation for your times, a rich storehouse of salvation and wisdom and knowledge. The fear of the Lord 
is the key to this treasure. You hear that? The key to salvation, the key to wisdom, the key to knowledge is one thing. It's the fear of the Lord. Our nation's problems are large. They're so complex that human wisdom cannot figure it out. But in Isaiah 33, 6, we see that the blessings of God are guaranteed if we fear the Lord. There's a rich storehouse of salvation and practical wisdom for our problems today. Number two, we need leaders who fear the Lord. Number three, we need to be reminded that government was created by God. Look at the 22nd verse of Isaiah 33. The Lord is our judge. The Lord is our lawgiver. The Lord is our king. It is he who saves. There's great evidence that our founding fathers used this scripture to be the blueprint of the three branches of our government, the legislative, the executive, and the judicial. There's the concept of the separation of powers that is found in Scripture. If you're interested in this, I actually wrote a book uh, called Inspired Prayers. And it is a praying the Scriptures that our founding fathers relied upon. It's in the back if you want to just grab one. There's a few copies in the back. I'd love for you to have it. But I just thought, in this election of 2016, can we not, as believers in Jesus Christ, agree with our founding fathers in the Scriptures that, that God spoke to them? And can we not pray those in this day? Our founding fathers knew the dangers of one branch having too much power. There was even a desire in the early days for George Washington to become the king of America and uh, he, because he was so popular, yet he, re- he uh, insisted upon term limits to avoid just this. The point that we need to hear loud and clear is that God has a plan for government. The church needs to be involved in politics. Nations that are not theocracies are still required by God to apply his principles to government. Micah 5.15 reminds of us of this when, it's, when Micah says, I will take vengeance He's quoting the Lord. I will take vengeance and anger and wrath on nations that have not obeyed me. Government is is divine in nature. It is one of the three institutions created by God to bring creation to order. God created marriage and the family as one institution. He created the church and he created government. Each are divine creations and Christians need to be concerned about them. So how do we do I felt like I ran real fast there. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. All of the things that are going on in the throne room of our king right now, those things need to come to America. As we pray for our country during this elected se- election season, that's our goal. That's what we need to be praying about. If we pray the scriptures, if we pray the promises of God, we know that he will hear and he will answer us as we're reminded that solutions come from God, that we need God-fearing leaders and that God created government. So I just want to ask you this one simple call to action. All right, you ready? One simple call to action. Would you pray every day until November the 8th, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven? And just see what happens. See what happens in your life. See what happens in, um, in our country. I'm going around the nation. I've got three speaking engagements this week alone with this simple message. Let's pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So, Father God, we come before you. 
And Lord, we do ask you this. Lord, as, as this body, this, this expression of your body here in Haymarket, pray every week the prayer that, that you taught us, Lord. We do pray that your kingdom would come, that your will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. Father God, we pray that you would move supernaturally in our country. Lord God, we pray that for this election coming up that you would see fit to have elected officials who seek solutions from you that we would have elected officials who fear you, and that we would have elected officials that understand the divine nature of government. Father God, our country is at a crossroads, and we do not trust in ourselves or any plan or solutions that we have. We can only trust in you in this day. Thank you, Lord Jesus, in your name. Amen.